Welcome back to the Culture Commentary. I'm Kendra and I'm solo dolo today. Elena had some other stuff to do today. Um, So I am by myself. Happy Father's Day to the fathers. But as usual, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world because people keep doing things. So since we last talked, some of everything has happened. No, I won't be talking about Trump and his attendance at his rally. We're just going to let that float on by. But fair warning, after I talk about my first story, it's going to be Georgia on my mind for the rest of this podcast. Why? Because Georgia's crazy right now and people keep doing stuff in Georgia that doesn't make a lick of sense to me. So since I live here, I feel the need to talk about it. So while it doesn't apply to all the listeners or you'll just see how Georgia is, um, hope you still enjoy it. But Georgia's doing some crazy stuff that I hope you all don't mimic in your state. How about that? Use this as a cautionary tale. Anyway, so the first, we're going to jump into That's Ridiculous. So the first thing I want to talk about is AMC Movie Theaters. Thursday, the CEO of AMC Movie Theaters, they released an article in Variety where he talked about the movie theaters going to open back up on July 15th. And I think almost all of them are going to open. I think the article said maybe like 400 and something out of the 500 or something to that effect are going to open back up. So most of your local one will probably be open um, if you're just dying, you know, to get out there in these COVID streets. But um, anywho, he says on when the art in the article, he says that uh, employees will be required to put to wear a mask, but that the patrons won't be. He said he didn't want to enforce the practice because he didn't, quote, want to be drawn into a political controversy, end quote. So that lets you know what type of person this is. Stupid. So then he goes on to say he thought it would be counterproductive if he forced mask wearing on people who had strong beliefs um, that it wasn't necessary to wear a mask in public. You know, those crazy people that were like marching a few weeks ago and or months ago and that those those idiots. So he was he thought that. I'm going to make a decision as a CEO of a company that is inviting people to come in, sit in a movie theater where people in an enclosed space where people can cough and this and that and whatever. And I'm going to side with those few idiots and say, you don't have to wear a mask. Okay, good job. I mean, this is like good CEOing right here. So after the article comes out, uh, as a surprise to no one, Twitter blows up on him, called him everything but a child of God, and told him that wearing a mask is not a political thing and that disease prevention isn't, that's not like a political stance. The political part is saying, I don't want to wear a mask. That's based on politics. The, The idea that you should be wearing a mask is science. See, see how that goes. So you were on the political side by saying, I'm not going to make people wear masks, idiot. Anyway, so one day after he says uh, patrons don't have to wear a mask, of course, he reverses his decision. You know, 
probably based on political reasons, huh? But anyway, so he reverses his decision and says that um, now the moviegoers are going to be required to wear a mask. Um, And so if you're just dying to go to the movies, which I don't know why you would be right now, I mean, you can order pretty much anything you want. Um, at your house so I advise you to just watch the movies you have access to at home but if you just want to go out to the movies you will if you go to an AMC theater you will now be required to wear his mask he said he changed his mind because it was quote it's clear from this response that we do not we did not go far enough on the usage of masks as we reopen theaters, we will require that all AMC guests nationwide wear masks as they enter and enjoy the movies. So, thanks Twitter for making this dummy figure out what he needed to do to protect the people that are going there. Who? I don't even understand how from a CEO perspective he thought that was a good idea that you were going to open up a business, let people come, not wear masks, potentially get COVID, and then trace it back to, well, I got it from the movies. How is that a good look on your AMC bottom line that you, you're already struggling? You think that's a good way to go to open back up with, with nothing? I mean, I think they talked about sanitation stuff, and I don't know if they're going to do like have capacity I didn't read that part I didn't read the actual variety article I read another article about this article is strictly about the backlash for the um for the mask so I will concede that point so I don't know if it's gonna be like 50% mass or whatever but the point is 50% capacity or whatever but the point is this was already a dumb decision so I don't have a lot of faith in the other decisions that you made Um, with regard to helping us with COVID. So, I won't be at an AMC theater, but by all means, you can go if you like. All right. Next thing I want to talk about is, since we're on COVID, we might as well talk about Georgia's numbers on COVID. So, finally... Because I've been looking for updated numbers and, you know, in true Georgia fashion, they don't give, it's not as easy to find as you would want it to be. There's not like this, it's not like it was, you know, a month or two ago with regards to their reporting. But the Macon Telegraph wrote an article yesterday or Friday or, or maybe Friday about the numbers in Georgia. And that day, the numbers had increased. 1,800 cases in a day, seven hospitalizations and six deaths, all within 24 hours, giving our total overall cases, you know, 65K, but, you know, we open, go to the movies, you know, have fun, don't wear a mask, no need. So, I I say this because I'm leading into this article about Landmark Hospital. It's located in Athens, and... It is also perpetuating Georgia's inability to give accurate data. The Macon Telegraph sounds more credible than some of the other things that I've heard. But let's go back to Landmark Hospital in Athens. They are now being sued by some former employees because they have been falsifying 
test results. So they've been lying left and right. And and my question becomes, is this the only hospital in Georgia that's doing this? I don't think so. Definitely probably not the only hospital across the country. But you got to, I don't trust a lot of the numbers that you hear. So here's what was going on in Landmark, according to four uh, four or five nurses um, at the hospital. So they said that the hospital was lying about COVID-19 to keep the hospital open. Um, so first they said for, uh, on June 8th, a patient, these are examples that was going on for a while, but on June 8th, a patient tested positive and then they were like, oh, that was a false positive test. So then the hospital throughout that, throughout June, and I'm sure before this, but this is about the month of June, they were hiding the scale of their outbreak. So they've been accused of fabricating negative results to discharge patients to make more space for new admissions and they wanted to avoid like the negative publicity or whatever of saying, I don't know, it's a hot spot, hot spot or you guys are, you know, full of COVID patients or whatever their reasoning was, it, it really doesn't matter. They were lying. And so this is after receiving like $600,000 under the CARES Act for specifically for coronavirus treatment. So when they took that money, that 600K, they were uh, bound to follow CDC testing protocols. This lawsuit alleges that they didn't do that. So there were, between June 4th and June 8th, there were five known cases, at least, five known cases that were positive for COVID. The hospital said they were all false positives and then started using a test that wasn't approved by the CDC to help with their negative test results. They also would take samples from a person's trachea, but label it as nasal passage uh, samples. So then when you tested it, you were getting this, you know, the results were not consistent. They weren't done. So they would do that. So then some of the nurses confronted management and they said that they were punished. They didn't say how they were punished. They just said that they were punished. But then those nurses that that said, I'm going to perform the test properly, meaning if I say it's a nasal swab, I'm going to do an actual nasal swab. Those nurses were fired (laughs) for doing the right thing. They also were are accused of sending back patients with COVID. Like, for example, a patient back to a nursing home that they know had COVID. Send them back to a nursing home, I guess, to help spread the disease. Like, what? I don't know what the, I don't know what you're getting at there. Like, that's just cruel. So they would, knew she was, knew she had COVID, sent her back to a nursing home to, you know, where it's so easily spread. Another thing that they would do was if they tested a person and they turned out positive, they would then redo the test in a way that made it come out negative. And then so like they would do that whole nasal passage switch or whatever their other tricks were. They would just test them again until they could make it make it come out negative. That's another way they were saying, oh, that was a false positive. See, we have this negative result. And then a lot of times the nurses says they weren't even allowed to take samples at all. So it went as a question mark as to whether or not this person had COVID. 
and I hate to say this, but the state of Georgia has a history of fudging data, not giving accurate information, hiding things when it comes to the coronavirus numbers. And this doesn't surprise me at all. So this was Landmark Hospital in Athens. So then that just makes me wonder, what are these other hospitals doing? Um, I don't trust any of the numbers out of Georgia. And I feel like it's worse than everybody is saying, because why lie if it was really good? Or they are too scared to figure out what the real numbers are, which once again leads us to what we were talking about last week, which is that you're basically on your own in this thing. You've got to figure out a way to protect your, I would assume everybody's got coronavirus. That's not how you have to approach it here because you can't, you can't trust any of this stuff. It's just, it's kind of sad and a little disheartening um, that those things are happening, but they are so unfortunately you know gotta look out for yourself all right now we're gonna go back to georgia and the police apd the first thing i just want to put out there is the Georgia op- that everybody's calling Officer Karen. That was definitely a Georgia. Um, I think she was a sheriff's deputy um, in Georgia who was crying over the egg McMuffin in a car. I'm pretty sure by now everyone has seen that clip of her. And I just really need somebody like take her gun and give her some time off. Like, whatever department, whoever her boss is, needs to sit her down. She needs to go away. Um, But she keeps doing interviews um, about it because everyone was like, basically, girl, shut up. Like, you put this out and you're crying and you're whining. It's like, girl, people are dying. Shut up. No one cares about the fact that your coffee came and then you had to wait longer for your Egg McMuffin, even though you pre-ordered. Like, girl bye like please go away white girl tears go away but she was like oh everyone um they missed the point I was just saying the officers go through this every day and um basically she's anxiety ridden and needs to go sit down and that's all I'm gonna say about her because it's it's really self-explanatory if you've seen that ridiculous video of her crying, full-on crying about her egg McMuffin. I mean, it's ridiculous. Anywho, last week um, I talked about I think that was last yeah last week I think that was last week about the APD budget and the raises that they were gonna get um, those things so. This is like an update part of that. So refresh your memory. The city of Atlanta in 2018, they determined that the APD was being underpaid according to like national averages, standards, whatever. So they made a commitment to the APD that they were going to raise their salaries incrementally from 2018 to 2021. So we're talking about the budget for 2021 right now. And um, in that budget was, I think it was 13 mil for um, increase in salaries. So, of course, 
everyone is on this de- everyone is defund the police or not everyone but a lot of people are protesting and defund the police um is one of the the action items they want to happen and so in this time everyone's like no why are you trying to give the police their raises so that was as of that was last that was where we were last week so monday city council had a uh, meeting they were taking comments from the public on the budget issue or the budget and they got they listened to so what you would do is since you know the city hall isn't open because of coronavirus you could call in to the they gave you a number you could call in and you could leave a two-minute message up to two minutes um, and share your thoughts as a citizen they got that first day like they met on monday they had over 600 calls to listen to it literally took them all day and all night they started at like 10 in the morning and ended it i mean super late um so that they did that. So then they they said that the vote on it at that meeting on Monday after they listened to all the calls and every call that I listened to and I listened to it for a few hours, every call that I heard say for one was defund the police, don't give them the raise, don't do this, we don't want this. Um people are dying, something's got to change, you know, defund the police. Every call say for one that I heard in the hours that I listened to. So I inferred that the rest of them were also like that. So that was on Monday. The vote was supposed to be on Friday. By the time Friday came, there was a thousand more public comments. (laughs) They listened to public comments or a total of a thousand. So they listened to public comments some more on Friday from the time that Friday meeting started, which was, I want to say 10 in the morning until 3 a.m. They were listening to calls. How do I know it was 3 a.m.? Because they had to push the vote until Saturday. And when they got on the Saturday call, one of the council members wanted it to be known to the public that they listened for three hours to the comments of defund the police. Um, Don't give them the raise. Why are you giving them money? They're killing people. You know, don't do this. This needs to be reworked. Please don't give them the money. They listened to over a thousand phone calls with that message. Defund the police. Don't give them that raise. They don't deserve it. APD doesn't deserve this money. That is the preface for Saturday's vote. That's what we have. So I start listening to the council call on Saturday. And this is the one to approve the budget. The bud, so one of the members, one of the um, council members in that meeting um, offers a resolution that would, because they're, or they're operating that they're about to approve this budget because they are and they did. So before the final approval of the entire budget, council member Ide presents um a resolution that resolution calls for them to quote restrict 
the quarter three and quarter four budget <clears throat> that is included in this 2021 budget of APD to restrict the APD's quarter three and quarter four budget. They're going to hold it back. And according to her resolution, what does she want to hold it back for? She wanted to hold it back for a report from the COO. She wasn't taking the funds away. It was more like a temporary hold. We're going to hold this money hostage to make the COO do a little research. And then we as the council will then decide, do we give them all that money back in, in full? Or do we take some of it and move it to public safety? Or what do we do with it? That was basically the crux of her proposal. What she wanted in return for holding those funds was for the COO to make recommendations by November 1st of this year, November 1st of 2020. And then she wanted to report on the best practices in people-centered public safety from around the world. She wanted to know what role the Fulton and DeKalb counties could play in funding and delivering public health and mental health services alongside or with integration with APD. She wanted to know how best to include and expand um, community-based public safety approaches that would build trust and relationships with residents. She wanted to know what resources are needed to best support public safety employees, including mental health evaluations and services. She wanted a comp, uh, compilation, compilation, I can't talk today, of, she wanted to gather up, I know what it means, she wanted a history, um, to the extent that the records exist, of police spending in dollar amount and percentage of budget, because that was another complaint that everybody had, is that the um, police department budget takes up a large percentage of the overall uh if it's public safety budget or general budget, it's disproportionate to all other public safety interests. Um, she also wanted to know um, a report on the crime rate of Atlanta for as, long, as far back as re- records exist. Um, she wanted an analysis of crime patterns for the same period, uh, factors that impacted crime, such as infrastructure changes and other investments. She wanted a comparison of the city of Atlanta police department spending versus peer cities for the past 10 years. And then she wanted a zero-based bottom-up budget justification indicating what resources are required to run APD and their intended impact on public safety. That's what she wanted. Those are all the things that were listed in the actual resolution for her holding the quarter three, quarter four budget until they got this report in November to then decide if they would give all that money back to APD or if it needed to be reallocated. That was what she came up. And I say she because she introduced the bill. It had a few other um, five or six other council members that were included in the creation of this. But uh, councilman, councilwoman Ide was the one who presented it. So that's why I'm saying she. Okay. Nowhere in this does it address, talk about, or look at 
police violence against citizens. Nowhere in this report does it ask for unarmed unarmed shootings, unarmed killings, black people. How many black people have the police killed? How many have, have been unarmed? What were the circumstances? There was no look into any of those things of fatal police interactions. There was no talk about non-fatal police interactions for nothing. Like there was no disciplinary records reviews. There was no, there was nothing. So this, in my opinion, was a band-aid that wasn't even going to work anyway, but that was the minimum that the council was even looking at doing. That was the minimum they were even considering doing was having someone compile some information on crime rates because essentially all she talked about was crime and what affects crime rates and then giving it back to the council and then, you know, basically being a savings account for the quarter three, quarter four budget. So then, so she introduces this bill, right? You would, I, in my opinion, I was like, well, it ain't, it doesn't really have a lot of meat to it. So surely they're going to at least do that. You would be wrong. I mean, it eventually passes, but it passes with several amendments, but I'm just going to give you a clip of what councilman, uh, Michael Julian Bond, who is the son of the civil rights leader, Julian Bond had to say about this. Imagine what it's like to do all of that and 
understand your work in that with someone who may have already been compensated and have their salary increased. But yes, for some might be the arbitrary reason, you don't have the salary and you're out, uh, you don't have your increase and you're out there doing the same job. Okay, so you just heard from uh, Michael Bond. And so the first part of it went round and round like that, um, with the majority of the comments being in line with what Mr. Bond's position was um, about the raises of the police. So they go around, I don't, they introduce maybe seven amendments to this thing, some pass, some fail. Um, in the end, the police are getting their, they're getting their raises. Um, this also passed, so they're holding parts of the budget, um, essentially as a, I don't even know what you would call, it's, it's more symbolic than effective. So as to what they're doing to get this report that doesn't include the issue that people are marching about. Um, so they did nothing. They spent all these days listening to public comments, doing all that. And in the end, what they came up with was not sufficient. The only thing they did was increase the budget for the Atlanta Citizens Review, which will add more spots and give them more funding to conduct more reviews and require everything, all um, police shootings, or fatal police interactions to be turned over to the Atlanta City Review Board. But the problem is that these things happen after someone is dead. They are doing nothing that I can see to prevent them from doing it in the first place. The things that um, Mayor Lance Bottoms has started to do, some of those things, sure. Um, maybe, but not really. Like, it's, it's not enough. It's more... It's a band-aid on a gaping wound is what they're doing right now. And they're not really addressing the people. They're not really addressing the people. Um, that's where we are right now. So after all of that debate, all of that, the budget passed, this bill passed, none of it really addresses any of the issues. Another thing that was super annoying about this is that the new phrase apparently is reimagine the police, meaning reimagine how public safety looks in this new era. Reimagine what the police department does and this. And they, for some reason, think that if they take um, responding to uh, homeless calls or mental health issues, off of the police's plate, that this will somehow stop what happened in that Wendy's parking lot, which was neither of those things. So they are looking at ways to lighten the load on the police officers whom, you know, they're giving raises to, to lighten their load so that they, I don't know. I don't even know what the point is anymore. I'm, I, I just, I don't know. I don't have a lot of faith in any of them. So, I don't know. But that's what's going on after the Atlanta City Council. And that's just an update on that story about them increasing um, the budget for police raises. Those are happening.
period. Now, one last thing in this great state of Georgia that I want to tell you guys about um, comes from the mayor of a small, small town called Bloomingdale. Of course, it's predominantly white. Of course. Who lives in Blue? Where's Bloomingdale, Georgia? No, it's who knows. But apparently it's 18 miles from Savannah. It has a population of 2,700 and they're mostly white. Right? The mayor posted on Facebook his idea of privilege. Because once it people have a problem, white people have this problem with the word white privilege and they get hung up on this, this word and don't understand the sentiments behind it. And then they go all off on these stupid racist tangents. So here's the mayor of Bloomingdale. He says on Facebook last Tuesday that privilege is the ability to protest against anything that triggers you without worrying about the consequences that accompany such behavior. He went on to say, that wasn't it. Privilege is wearing $200 sneakers when you've never had a job. Privilege is wearing $300 Beats headphones while living on public assistance. Privilege is having as many children as you want, regardless of your employment status, and be able to send them off to daycare or school that you don't have to pay for. What? Like, the racism (laughs) that is being spewed by these elected officials is getting, I mean, it's getting more and more. He just posted this on his Facebook page. The city council in Bloomingdale was just, all they said was, his views aren't our views and we don't support his views. That was it. No, nothing else that they say. They just separated themselves from him and was like, oh, that's on him. That's just what he thinks. The amount of ridiculousness that that, I mean, it's predominantly white. And I just, who knows what other things, other mayors, councilmen, people in the state are saying in states across the nation. This is just ridiculous. And I know that that's what, I mean, things get worse before they get better. And this is part of it. But this is like, I am so sick of reading crap like this with no basis, in fact. But that's privilege. Privilege is doing something that everyone has the right to do. Because everything that he lists, white people do everything on that list. But he's directing it towards the people who are protesting. Utter ridiculousness. And trying to defend, I guess, white privilege. I mean... I don't know where, who knows what he's talking about. But on that bright note, that's all I'm going to say about the state of Georgia for the day. Um, I think I've said enough. I think that you all see enough is going on. Um, Enough things are being, a lot of things in the state are being uh, dressed up, but don't really have a lot of substance. Um, So... The fight continues. Talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening.